This is Capitalize Your Finances, the show representing you, a select group of excited, ready, and fired up listeners seeking to potentially maximize your money moves and get after it. We don't settle for generic advice of always and nevers. Our currency is our intellect, and we constantly seek the logical way of likely creating advantages to potentially maximize wealth for your personal and unique situations. This show brings you the step-by-step framework to capitalize your finances in all aspects of your financial situation. And we strive to explore strategies and ideas to potentially help you capitalize on your financial decisions. We are capitalizers and this is our show. Welcome back to Capitalize Your Finances. This is Christopher A. Paniotu, the Cap and Capitalize. And today, and for the next couple episodes, I am extremely excited to discuss Capitalize Your Stocks. That's right. You have all been waiting for this day to come. And I am super excited to have my special guest, Atticus Lowe, on the show. Now, before we get into the show, a little bit about Atticus. He is one of the co-authors of the amazing investment book, The Entrepreneurial Investor. He is a co-manager and co-asset manager at 15 Equity. He has been in the business for a very long time, but most importantly, he is one of my all-time best friends. And so with that, Atticus, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Chris. It's it's a pleasure to be here and uh, been looking forward to this for, gosh, I guess a a few weeks now. So this will be fun. Absolutely. Yes, it is going to be a lot of fun. Before we dive into all the qualitative and quantitative things that you are going to give our listeners on capitalizing their stocks, let's first take people back in time and give a little history about how you got into the business. But most importantly, what got you excited to do what you are doing today? Sure. Well, you know, even I guess... I guess it goes back to when I was uh, was just a kid. I, I played baseball my whole life through college, and, and I grew up during the um, the baseball card mania in the 1980s, and I used to collect baseball cards, and I was just obsessed with it. My friends would come over to my house, or I'd go to their house, and we'd trade cards, you know, and um, back then they had, uh, maybe they still do, the magazine called Beckett. And I think it came out monthly and it would, it would list the, the value of different baseball cards. And I, you know, every month you'd get the Beckett and look up what a card's worth and um, you'd uh, follow the baseball players and, and uh, you could buy you know, individual baseball cards. You could buy packs of cards. You could buy sets of cards. And um, it, it's kind of, I think, what got me interested in, in the stock market. I saw a lot of parallels, you know, you've got, you can buy individual stocks, you can buy mutual funds, you can buy index funds, and you're really trying to sort of project, uh, you know, what the value uh, of a company is going to be over the long term. Just like, you know, when I was a kid and I was looking at, you know, my favorite baseball player thinking, oh my gosh, this guy's a rookie. He's going to be the next Babe Ruth or, or Willie Mays. And I need to get his rookie card. And, and so that, that was kind of the excitement for me. And then um, I started investing in the stock market when I was in college and didn't know what I was doing, but it was, it was exciting at the time. It was during the dot-com bubble. Um, and you saw a lot of volatility, you saw a lot of money being made. And then um, 
we saw a lot of money being lost as well when the bubble burst. But um, I actually, around that time, I, I was playing baseball in college. I had shoulder surgery. I was a pitcher and I always thought I wanted to play baseball my whole life. And I said, well, I better figure out what I'm going to do. And so um, my business partner, Lance Helford, had just started um, an asset management company with his uh, cousin, Paul Orfala, who's the Kinko's founder. And I started interning there when I was in college. And I was the first uh, person they hired uh, when I graduated. And that was at a time when there was just a handful of clients. It was a small business that we've grown tremendously over the past, I guess it's been 20 years now. Um, but uh, that, that was how I got started in the business really. And so you know, Lance and, and Paul were my mentors. Paul uh, grew Kinko's from a, a single coffee shop into, I think they had around a thousand coffee shops or more by the time he retired. <clears throat> of course, FedEx acquired Kinko's for around 2.4 billion, I believe, you know, maybe 15, 20 years ago. And now the FedEx office is kind of what Kinko's used to be. They sort of rebranded it. Um, but Paul had been investing since the time he was 13 years old. And so he had 50 plus years of experience investing in stocks and also in growing a business and just had some tremendous insights uh, into investing, uh, evaluating businesses uh, and managing money that just the, the lessons I learned for, from him are just invaluable. Um, and, and really a unique spin, I think, in, in terms of how he looked at the world um, compared to somebody, you know, that maybe came up in a different type of environment in the investing world. Sure. What would you say are some of the biggest things that you learned from Paul that have gotten you to where you are today? I mean, really his investment philosophy and a lot of his investment philosophy is really kind of mirrors... Um, Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger, you know, Berkshire Hathaway. Um, and so does our strategy today. <laughs> very, very much so. Um, we try to, to emulate them and their strategy. It's been so successful and it really just makes a lot of sense to us. I mean, um, our, our company is called 15 Equity and that's because we own around 15 stocks and so it's a focused portfolio. It's our it's our best ideas in the whole market. We only manage one strategy, um, and we think fifteen stocks is enough to have adequate diversification against unsystematic risk or company specific risk. You know, if you will, a company's headquarters getting blown up by a hurricane or something like that and getting wiped out. You know, with fifteen stocks, um, you, you have enough diversification to where you got to make it 20, 25, 30. The benefits of that we think are kind of trivial. And in fact, we think by owning fewer companies, you can understand the businesses better and even reduce risk. And frankly, we'd like to, to be rewarded when we're right. So, and you can be when you own fewer stocks. I mean, we'd much rather own more of our fifth and 10th favorite stocks than our 25th or 30th, 50th, 100th favorite stock. Um, and we're also... I would call it opportunistic. We're not bound by style boxes and it's more in vogue these days, but um, in years past, um, you know, consultants and institutions liked to see asset managers fit into a box, whether it's large cap growth, small cap value, 
we're just all cap um, opportunistic. We call ourselves value investors, but you know, as Warren Buffett says, growth is an important component of value. Um, so that's that, that's kind of the the tenets of of the philosophy that I've taken, um, you know, from Paul. That that's really uh, has shown through in our track record and, and in our strategy. We're you know we're also involved. We we do all of our own research. All of our investment decisions are based on our own research. We used to visit every company that we invested in, even even very large companies. Uh, and it's just it's not it's not the same today as it used to be. In fact, a lot of a lot of the larger companies won't even accept uh, meetings at this point, and, and you don't learn as much. Um, you know, company culture I think is something that that's really important and something that we look at when we're evaluating a business. We used to try to go and eat in the lunchroom with the employees, you know, where the rubber meets the road and, and, and really try to figure out, you know, if people are happy, um, if it's a positive, um, culture or not, uh, if it's a ruthless culture or, you know, that doesn't have values that maybe align with, with what we'd want to see. So focused, focused, uh, focused, opportunistic and involved is kind of how I would describe it. Well, in there, there is a lot to unpack. Number one, as crazy as this may sound, none of the CEOs want to take a meeting with me. They've not returned any of my calls and I am still waiting. Okay. But on a serious note, the world has totally changed. I mean, we have friends that work for Boeing, for example, and there is no way you'd be able to get a lunch in with the employees unless you had an employee pass because it's just, it's not gonna happen. It's nothing against you. It's just the way of the world. Now, talk to me before we dive into the specifics a little bit more about 15 Equity. Now, I believe it was founded in 2001. And so you guys have had a track record for quite a while. And Paul has taken a step back so now it's just you and Lance. So talk to us a little bit about the growth of 15 Equity, of where you started, which would also have led you to where you've gotten today. Yeah, I think I think Paul re- Paul retired uh, maybe back in I can't remember back in 2012 or so. I think he was 65 and he just you know stepped down from from all of his. Uh, he was on our investment committee, um, and we still see him and, and talk to him all the time. But um, yeah, so we we when I started there, I think we had maybe five clients and twenty five million in assets under management. Today, um, we're overseeing you know, close to four hundred million dollars. Um, we manage fixed income as well, but it's more of um, uh, just a service for clients that want to have everything in one place. You know, we manage um, ladder uh, corporate bond portfolios. Nothing, nothing too special. Sure. But the primary focus of what we do is is equity management in our in our single strategy. Sure. Okay. Well, and with that, I think it's a great time to turn the page and start getting into the nuts and bolts of what we wanted to chat about today. So for you, when you're looking to buy a business, and that's what a lot of people don't understand, is when you're buying a stock, well, let me backtrack. People are saying that they're buying the stock or buying a business, they'll say. I'm investing in a company, which is really just a fancy way of saying gambling. I mean, you and I have talked ad nauseum behind the scenes about this stuff. And so when you are choosing to go all in and own a business, 
What are some of the qualitative things that you like to look for? Sure. So yeah, there's definitely qualitative things and quantitative things. Um, You mentioned our book, it's called The Entrepreneurial Investor, The Art, Science, and Business of Value Investing. So there is, you know, there is, um, there is the quantitative and the qualitative, and they're both really important. And I don't, I don't, you know, think we could be successful only relying on, on one aspect there. But, you know, we love um, simple businesses that we can understand um, that are within our circle of competence. You could, you could call it um, borrowing another Buffett term there, I believe, but um, uh, we're, we're frequently customers of the businesses that we own. And um, that, you know, it's one of the best sources for ideas uh, that we have as well. Um, uh, qualitative things that we look for, um, you know, nothing out of the norm that you wouldn't see from, from most value investors, but, um, we really, we really like businesses that generate recurring revenues. Um, you know, think of, uh, the razor blade model where you sell a, um, you know, a Gillette razor and then people have to buy the replacement blades, um, versus something where you have to make, uh, you know, a, a sale one time a year or something like that. And the person who buys it doesn't need it for, for years to come. Um, we, we love that type of business that you can depend on. We like businesses that are not very capital intensive um, or more of their costs are variable and the business can be controlled better as opposed to something that requires a, a you know, tremendous amount of uh, property and equipment and so forth. Um, we think it's really important to have um, a strong competitive advantage, a durable competitive advantage, um, and for for a business to be resilient um, in good times and bad. So we like to find businesses that sell the types of products that people buy every day, um, you know, regardless of of, of whether t- times are good or bad, um, interest rates high or low, um, and. Um, and, you know, I think a good, uh, another thing we, we like to find is a business that we don't think has a lot of reinvention risk. And that's probably one of the biggest things that, that deters us from a lot of investment candidates that we look at, you know, companies that we're evaluating. Uh, you know, the best example I could give of that um, would be Wrigley's Chewing Gum. That was our, one of our largest investments for a long time until it was acquired um by mars and if you look and now we own hershey which is very similar i mean you know if you look at either product look at a hershey's bar over the last hundred years the packaging has hardly changed the look has hardly changed the product itself has hardly changed um but they can raise their prices every year and it's the type of um product that you know it's kind of an impulse uh buy you're at the checkout stand at the grocery store you know whatever um and it's not a, a large ticket item. Um, we love Hershey, uh, just like we did Wrigley's. But whereas you look at a high tech, hard, hardware type of a company, or think of like a flat screen TV, every, every year the technology gets better and better, and there's more and more competitors, and the price goes down every year. You know, maybe some of the new high tech ones, the price is going up. But if you look over a long period of time at, you know, calculators, laptops, um, flat screen TVs, those types of products, um, 
which also aren't as recurring in nature. Uh, they, they've got a lot of reinvention risk. And, and uh, so that would, you know, you could say the same thing about a lot of different types of technology companies. And you know, some of them are, are arguably protected by the amount of capital they spend on research and development, which makes sense, but you still have that left field risk for a lot of those uh, types of companies and um, understanding a lot of those businesses in, in the first place uh, is difficult for us as well. Uh, so uh, what else? You know, we like to find businesses um, that have strong pricing power that are able to raise their prices. I think that's particularly important right now when you've got um, inflation, like we're seeing it. I, 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 I'm a, I frequent Starbucks on my way to work in the morning and I got their app downloaded now and, and you can see the price raising right before your eyes and you know the, you know, the cost of what you usually get in the morning. And, and it's the first time in my life this year where I've really noticeably been seeing these types of jumps um, in, in prices and, and it's critical that business or businesses are able to pass that through to their customers you know, to, to maintain their margins and, and maintain their viability. You know, whether, whether the inflation continues or it's more transient in nature, that's, that's debatable. I don't know, but we like to try to take that out of the equation when we're looking for a business so that we don't really even have to worry about it. Um, we, we like businesses that um, have a strong balance sheet and generate strong free cash flow, you know, and if they're investing that free cash flow in, in uh, growth opportunities that makes sense, then that's great. We love that. You know, if they're raising their dividends and buying back stock with it, that's great as well. You know, yeah, sure. we write a quarterly letter uh, to our investors uh, and it seems like every quarter that rolls around, there's, you know, one or two or three companies that just raise their dividend and, you know, and it's for the 45th straight year they've raised it or the 50th year in a row. And it's just, you know, I've been writing these, these letters for 20 years now and it's, you can just see, um, capital compounding, you know, seeing how much stock they repurchase every quarter, how much dividends are paying out, how their earnings are growing. And so these, these types of businesses that have low capital requirements generate plentiful free cash flow, you know, great competitive advantage. They can just compound wealth over the long term. And um, that, that's the type of business that we love. Sure, sure. I, I do want to say before, I, I, I don't want to interrupt you because I don't want to get too ahead of our britches on the quantitative side of things. Now, for those of you listening at home, a little bit about Atticus. Once he gets going, you can't really stop him. So unless you get in front of the A train, you are going to get absolutely trucked. Uh, so someone had to do it. And I apologize for that. But as far as the qualitative things that there are, there were a couple things that I wanted to ask you about because a lot of people like to talk about the exciting things to look for when, when buying on a qualitative basis, but no one really likes to look under the hood uh, contrarianly, if that's, a, if that's a word, okay? So if it's not, it is now. So what could go wrong from a risk side of things? So from a qualitative side, what would you say are some of the biggest risks that people need to look at or things that people just don't even take into consideration at all? Sure. So, um, you know, we have something that we call the cockroach theory that comes to mind. Um, uh, if you find one cockroach and you shine a bright light on it, you're going to find more. 
cockroaches, you know? So if you see, if you can sniff, you know, some impropriety or, or something that, that doesn't seem right at a company, you know, typically that's a warning sign. And, and, uh, you know, reminds me of maybe 15, 15 years ago when all these SEC investigations were rolling out following the, the Enron accounting scandal. Um, and you had, um, you know, the light was shined bright on a lot of these companies that had accounting irregularities. And, and once, once they opened up, you know, there was a lot more under the surface. Um, so paying attention to that sort of thing, I think is important. Uh, company, company culture. I mean, there's a website now called Glassdoor. You can see how people like um, working at the, uh, how they like their employers, whether it's a good experience, if they think they're treated fairly, if they recommend it to others and, you know, uh, a positive company culture we think is really important and it's definitely harder to measure. Um, uh, but, but um, I, I think those are, those are some things, you know, um, companies that have to restate their earnings uh, frequently companies that under promise and over deliver. Um, we love, you know, and it's typically, it's one or the other companies notoriously over promising and under delivering or the opposite. And we love to see a company that under promises and over delivers. And you mentioned, you know, looking for that exciting thing in an investment. We like to try to find something like that, maybe that, that you're getting for free because you can buy a stock, you know, hopefully that has a, an implied margin of safety based on the price you're paying uh, for its underlying business value. Um, but that, you know, they had an exciting thing you're getting for free, you know, take Apple, for example, people are getting really excited about their potential for, um, for, uh, uh, introducing a car in a couple of years. And, and it's not something that, you know, maybe now you're starting to pay for it here a little bit, but it would, you know, when it, the news first broke, you weren't, that's, you know, sort of an example, but some sort of catalyst that you're not paying for. When you mentioned, I'm, I'm not really thinking about Apple specifically, but indirectly with Apple, with the car analogy, uh, there, there's an example down the road. Now, Apple has enough money to probably be able to figure it out. However, I think we could also play devil's advocate that there could be an argument to say that this is getting outside of their core competency. Now, on the flip side, General Electric is an example that I'm thinking of as well where they were really great at one thing and then they became good at a lot of things and then they became all right at absolutely nothing, which resulted in the stock price tanking. And so as far as core competencies, would you say that's a pretty big risk that people overlook? Certainly you look for red flags um, where you think, you know, if a company is going to spend an exorbitant amount of money and put your capital at risk, chasing an opportunity that that's out of their realm. You know, I, would, um, I definitely think that's, that's something to keep an eye on. Um, and, and I think, you know, just individual investors themselves know more about the, the stock market than they realize just by, um, you know, using their own observations. We used to uh, have a saying, we called it fortune cookie advice. Your eyes believe what you see, your ears believe others. Um, you know, so many times we've, we've been 
tempted to, to make investments based on, you know, what maybe an analyst point of view or what somebody else is saying about something or, or a product that we don't really understand. And, and, and the times that we've really had a, a flawed investment thesis, I think have been when we, we listen to others instead of following, you know, what, what we see for ourselves. And that gets back to um, focusing on simple businesses that you understand, you know, uh, if you're a customer of a business, uh, you know, say it's a fast food chain, like a Chipotle or a Habit Burger or something like that. And in and out you can see, in and out's not public, but I wish it was, um, but you could see, you can see that there are long lines at some of these places and that there's high demand, um, that there's room for growth. And um, I think that's, that's probably the best type of research that there is. Um, yeah. When you mention something that I think could get overlooked about not listening to basically what the street or others are telling you versus what you are seeing. However, you and I, me especially, right? I'm, I'm a rookie compared to you, but we're human. And so you mentioned it about the a thesis or a thought uh, about a company that you otherwise may not have gone into or even invested in. Could you actually speak and be a little vulnerable here if you need tissues, we ha- we'll have someone send, send some your way, but talk to us about some instances where maybe the devil did kind of creep into your ears and you bought something that you can look back and say, hey, that was a phenomenal learning experience. Yeah, sure. I mean, just like a broad example, you know, maybe a, there was a healthcare that we owned where one of our um, uh, associates, uh, was really familiar with their product and he was telling us how good it was going to be. And they, they had, you know, uh, an underpinning of value in, in other products and revenue and cash flow, And we attributed more value to, to something that we didn't really understand than, than, than we should have. And that, that also just comes back to, to understanding what you own, what you own, I think. Um, yeah, many times, you know, my brother-in-law has been telling me for a few years now to buy NVIDIA because of these chips that they're making. And you may have mentioned it to me in the past a time or two as well. And I, I, it's just not a business that, that we understand well enough to buy it. And, but I watch it go up, you know, every month or whatever. I did check the stock quote and it's done fantastically well. And it's something that he knows really well himself um, and understands their competitive advantage and their growth opportunity. And, um, uh, but, you know, not something that's in our, our circle of competence, I would say. Sure, sure. So you've got to get back to what you know and understand. Now, you mentioned qualitatively something big, which is, is broad, but it also comes up frequently. Um, you have to be a, a consumer or a customer of a simple business. And I think simple business is probably the most important because people get a little ahead of their skis today. You've mentioned multiple times that you love recurring revenue. Now, obviously, you also don't like a ton of reinvention risk. So what are some of the other big possibilities that you look for? Not necessarily the risks where we freak out, but the big exciting things that we look for that we didn't speak about yet. Um, in, terms of, in terms of quantitatively what we look at or? qualitatively before we get into quantitative quantitative is where all the nerds are going to come out and just go gangbusters. You know, um, the guy by the name of Jim Collins, you probably heard of him. He wrote a book 
some years ago. I think it was called Good to Great. And um, talked about companies and CEOs that, you know, went from good and became great. And um, we spent a lot of time with that, with that book and that kind of uh, philosophy applying it to the stock market. And, and I remember Paul at the time kind of related, related it to um, real estate as well. You know, essentially um, the good get better the bad get worse and the mediocre stay the same. And you, you, you can kind of see that over a period of time in the stock market. And it's, there are certainly exceptions to the rule, but you, you could say the same thing if you start, uh, if you look at Wilshire Avenue, say in, in Los Angeles, and you start um, in Santa Monica on the beach, uh, Ocean Avenue, I think, and you head on, you end up in um, Skid Row in, in LA. And, and the further you get away from the beach, the, you know, the, the less valuable the real estate is and companies that are doing the right thing and have good leadership and have good business models, you know, that, that success kind of, I think perpetuates on itself. And I mentioned compounding earlier, but it also opens up more opportunities um, for the businesses. And, and you're seeing it today as well with um, ESG investing where companies are paying, um, more attention um, to environmental, social, and, and governance issues, and they are they are more costly. Uh, it is more costly to to pursue a business that that's more responsible in those types of areas. But it's really the great the great businesses that are really embracing it, and I think it it has a positive impact on company culture. Certainly has a positive impact on investability in terms of. Um, reaching a broader audience. There's more and more investors are, are paying more attention to, to that sort of thing. And, and I know our, our clients are as well. Um, and we were somewhat skeptical, you know, of it initially, but it's really grown on us. And we've seen, we've really seen it bear fruit for the companies that are embracing it. And, and, and now, you know, touting their standing within the ESG um, groups that they're in within their sectors who's doing a better job. And, and I think it's wonderful um, for the economy and, and for the, uh, just for, um, for the culture of these companies, those that are embracing it. Um, and it's definitely something that we look at now. Yeah, it's interesting. We've actually been talking about a lot of that off air. So, you know, on day-to-day chats, uh, ESG is becoming wildly popular. Now, for those of you that are listening that are not familiar, ESG is environmental, socially, and governmentally conscious, depending on who you talk to. And it's this whole idea of being basically a better steward of those around you and your company in the culture for the world at large. Now, that's fine. But where Atticus is getting at is that even though that is very true, you have to be cautious. You have to be very quick on the trigger to figure out what is genuine and then what is just saying it to say it, you know? So being from Washington state and we all are football fans up here. Well, not all of us, but you know, being a Seahawks fan, Marshawn Lynch would always go to recordings of post-game interviews. He wouldn't say really anything. He'd say, I'm here so I don't get fined. So the reason why I'm bringing this up is you want to know companies that are genuinely there versus companies that are there so they don't get fined, if that makes sense. It's actually a pretty good analogy. I just made that one up on the fly. 
I love that. Absolutely. Yeah. So you're down in San Diego. So, I mean, you don't really have anything to compare to because, you know, you guys don't really have a team anymore. But before we dive into the quantitative, I know we talked about some risks to look for. So what would you say? And let's just elaborate on a couple more things on what could go wrong and then actually give some examples in the past of what you've accounted for and it did go wrong and maybe yet another learning experience. Sure. Yeah. And you know, there, there's, there's some more, there's some more qualitative thoughts that I've had here while we're, while we're chatting here, but you know, yeah, I'm reminded of Wayne Gretzky's, you know, fantastic NHL hockey career. I think he always said, I didn't skate to the puck. I skated to where the puck was going to be. And, you know, when you're investing, you're, you're really um, investing in the future and you're trying, you're effectively trying to predict the future um, in a large part. And um, one thing we pay attention to is trying to identify trends versus fads. And it, it can be harder to do than it sounds. But if you think of a fad as maybe like um, a puka, puka shell necklaces, um, you know, it comes in waves and they become popular and everybody's got a puka shell necklace. And then before you know it, nobody has one. And then, um, but, and then you look at, you know, everything's going to the cloud now, you know, cloud computing storage. And that's definitely a trend. Um, so I think that's important too, to, to, to kind of pay attention to trends and, and identify fads and really try to stay away from fads. Um, and, and look at innovation as well. Um, you know, things, things change. The market is a lot different than it was when I started in this business. Um, the market itself and, you know, a lot of um, sectors within the market. Think of, think of, um, the advertising business and what's happened with even television. Um, you're going away from your cable companies and you're going towards streaming and it's this whole new you know, fight for, for who's going to own the streaming market. And maybe it's going to be a whole handful of players and you're going to have, you know, five different subscriptions instead of one big service. Um, but that, that's business has changed immensely. The advertising business has changed immensely as well you used to have you know these your commercials on every tv show you'd watch there would be no dvr where you could skip the commercials um and there would be newspapers where you'd get a hard copy newspaper and you'd see all the ads in the newspaper and then it slowly moved towards um you know more billboards online advertising i just heard the other day that they're going to start advertising digitally on the back of uh semi-trucks i mean that so the those sorts of things are changing frequently and, and it's something that anybody can really observe um, those types of trends in the market. And, and also I'd say just the market has changed so much itself in recent years uh, with the advent of technology. You've got all these um, unicorns now that are going public and the access to capital is so great. And a unicorn, I guess, is a, a private company that, that achieves a market value over a billion dollars, I believe. And, and there are so many of them now, and many of them are going public through these SPACs. Um, and, and most of these new age companies, you know, are, their value is predicated on the future, what they're gonna be, how much money they're gonna make, 
10, 20, 30 years from now, and they're valued on typically a sales multiple instead of actual earnings. And some of them will be wildly successful, but a lot of them probably won't be. And, it, and it's, it's such a different environment than it used to be when you were, you had more of a defined set of, of um, investable public companies. It's just kind of an interesting time, I think. And, and with the advent of cryptocurrency as well. Yes. And that in and of itself could be an entire new conversation that we're going to have to have you back on the show for in two weeks, because unfortunately we've run out of time on this week's podcast. So we'll have to continue this discussion on my next episode where we will get into the quantitative side of what Atticus does and what the thought process is when deciding which stocks, companies, or sectors he wants to own. How does all this work? We'll talk more with Atticus Lowe on part two of Capitalize Your Stocks on Capitalize Your Finances with, of course, me, your host, Christopher A. Ponio to the Cap and Capitalize. And until next time, keep capitalizing. The information provided should not be considered specific tax, legal, or investment advice, and is not specific to any individual's personal circumstances. To the extent that this material concerns tax matters, it is not intended or written to be used and cannot be used by a taxpayer for the purpose of avoiding penalties that may be imposed by law. Each taxpayer should seek independent advice from a tax professional based on his or her individual circumstances. Different types of investments and or investment strategies involve varying levels of risk, and there can be no assurance that any specific investment or investment strategy will be profitable for a client's or prospective client's portfolio. Thus, investments may result in a loss of principal. Accordingly, no client or prospective client should assume that the information presented serves as the receipt of or a substitute for personalized advice from Capitalize Your Finances or from any other investment professional. You should always seek counsel of the appropriate advisor prior to making any investment decision. All investments are subject to risk, including the loss of principal. This material was gathered from sources believed to be reliable. However, its accuracy cannot be guaranteed. The information contained herein does not constitute an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy securities. Investment products described herein may not be offered for sale in any state or jurisdiction in which such an offer, solicitation, or sale would be unlawful or prohibited by the specific offering documentation. Before investing, carefully consider a mutual fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. To obtain a prospectus or summary prospectus, which contains this and other information, call your financial advisor. Read the prospectus carefully before investing. Diversification strategies do not ensure a profit and cannot protect against losses in a declining market. It is important to keep in mind that investments in fixed income products are subject to liquidity or market risk, interest rate risk, Bonds ordinarily decline in price when interest rates rise and rise in price when interest rates fall. Financial or credit risk, inflation or purchasing power risk, and special tax liabilities. Interest may be subject to the alternative minimum tax. Treasury securities are backed by the full faith and credit of the U.S. government, but are subject to inflation risk. Christopher Paniotu is a registered representative with and securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, and member FINRA SIPC. The investment professionals are affiliated with LPL Financial and are conducting business using the name Capitalize Your Finances, a separate entity from LPL Financial. Atticus Lowe, Lance Helfer, and 15 Equity are not affiliated with Capitalize Your Finances or LPL Financial.